0: Part of the Media Ministry of Cornerstone Church, you can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org, or by subscribing to our podcast. When you open your Bibles to Romans chapter eight, we're actually going to be coming to a conclusion of that great chapter. Uh, this sermon series this week, um, I'm going to ask you a question. Just really honest this morning, uh, are you desperate to hear from God this morning? You know, when we think about what's happened in our world the last couple weeks and what's happened in our own community just this past week, uh, you know, we come with the desperation, not a fear of desperation. I, I don't know that we really come with a fear, but certainly hungry hearts and just needing truth, needing stability in a world that uh, the winds are just blowing left and right so fiercely. And so uh, this morning, let's just gather around God's truth and say, okay, God, I, I need to hear from you. But Jesus always used this phrase when he was teaching. He says, let him, them that have ears to hear, let them hear. In other words, there may have been a thousand people there. And sometimes when he was preaching, we know that there was crowds of multiple thousands. And yet I wonder how many people really heard that this morning. I wonder how many, as he was teaching those different things, really heard the message of Christ or if they just heard words. And my prayer this morning is as we go to God, especially this great truth, this crescendo so to speak of of Romans 8 that we wouldn't just hear words but that we really would hear from God this morning so uh, let's have that prayer together uh, uh, just that God would open our minds and our hearts to the preciousness of his word father we come as desperate people father not desperate because you have left anything out of salvation but father that we are still in this world and father there truly is that friction that futility Father, that emptiness that comes sometimes of just still being in this world and yet having a mind and a heart that wants to be with you. Father, we get what the Apostle Paul was saying. Father, he did not want to shortcut your purpose in his life whatsoever. He said he was torn between the two, between earth and heaven, and yet he said he knew which one is far better. And Father, that really would describe a lot of us this morning that we feel that friction, we feel that, Father, there are days that we just, we, we cry out, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because we so desperately just want the, the finality of all these promises to come into being. But, Father, you have delayed with purpose, not because you're uncaring, but, Father, even for that last one that would be saved by your Son. Father, you have come to, to give grace, Father, and, and let your will be done is our prayer. And yet, Father, this morning, as we're doing your will, as we would seek this for our lives, Father, will you teach us your truth? Would you fill us with your Spirit? Father, would you guide us this day? And Father, I pray, especially this morning, as we would conclude this great chapter, Father, that, that you would just speak to our hearts. Father, that you would just sum up all this truth in a way that we could go out and apply that to our lives. We love you, Christ. Father, we love you, Father, that we can even call you Father this morning. We love you. you've given us your spirit to dwell within us and father we rejoice in that this morning as we pray all this in christ's name amen romans chapter 8 we come to those last four verses and we kind of touched a little bit upon this last week Uh, it's been called by many the greatest chapter in all the book uh, in all the bible it's 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 filled with theological truth it's filled with all kinds of practical application it's uh a part of the Bible that addresses the reality of that this is a pretty harsh life. It doesn't really try to soften the blow. It's like a lot of the songs that we sing this morning, that you know, there really is this battle going on, but there's joy that comes in the morning. And Paul continually stretches us to that because he knows that we're in the midst of battles and and that our lives aren't just perfect and that everything really is kind of sometimes here a tug of war back and forth, even in our spiritual life. And so he tries to give us hope, and he tries to put it all in perspective. And as he closes out this chapter, uh, we referred last week, it's almost like he's a defense attorney. It's almost like he's a a prosecuting attorney, but an attorney coming and and finishing his case and and saying very much, okay, he goes to the jury, and and we're the jury. We're, We're the Romans. We're the ones receiving this word. And it's almost as Paul is kind of summarizing what he has said in the first seven chapters of Romans. And he makes those concluding statements. And last week he said that part of his style that he used there in that closing argument was to ask five rhetorical questions. Rhetorical questions, questions that were so obvious in their answer that you really don't even have to answer them. And so we looked at all five of those last week and we kind of stopped there at at verse 35. And that's where we're going to pick up this morning because Paul does something strange with that fifth rhetorical question historical questions you don't answer. And yet Paul answers this fifth one. He begins to to answer this fifth and final one because he he wants to make sure that we get it. And that's my prayer this morning, that we would get it. You know, this morning as we begin to to talk, we're talking about our kids. They go through different stages in their lives. and, And I think we can all remember, if you have older kids and they went through this stage three and four and five years old, why? Why? Remember we talked about that last week? And that one why question always leads to another one. No matter what answer you give, once you give that answer, there's a why. But if you have 8, nine, ten year olds you also know that there's another stage coming about that time. When their mind, the way that God made us, pretty much we're concrete thinkers when we're 3 and 4 and 5. We can just think kind of concrete thoughts. But God gave us a capacity that as we grow, our mind begins to kind of handle abstract things. We can take things that are not so linear, not so concrete, and we can actually put those things together. And when you have that, in your children's life, they go through this stage of, you know, not so much a why, but, you know, a a what-if stage. Okay, here's the truth, but what if this happens? Now, I, I love you, sweetheart, but Dad, what if I did this? Well, what if I did this really, really bad thing? Uh, well, would you still love me then? And, and no matter how much you try to convince them that this is a solid truth, I will always love you. They come back and they begin to see, is there something that will fit in that blank? Is there something that I could do that could actually take this truth and throw it away? Well, those are fun times as parents. As they go through all that different things, as they begin to to say, okay, would you love me if I made all Fs on my report card? And if I begin to do this, and and you wonder what they're getting at. Did you really make all Fs? And, And, you know, as they try to find it, is there a line that I could, is there a place I could go that is so far that all of a sudden this which I know to be true would no longer be true? Folks, we do that with God a lot. I don't care if you've been raised in the church. I don't care if you have read the Bible through. I don't care if you are grounded in gospel truth. It's one of those things, because of our human nature, because of just the frailty of this nature and this mind, we're not in the place of glorification and perfection yet. And so there's times that we really entertain. But God, I know that you love me. and, And the Bible says that God loves me unconditionally. But God, what if I fill in the blank? Now, maybe you've never said it in that, those words, maybe you never said it quite in, the, in that same phraseology, but, but have you been there before? That's something that God has said. I mean, we just sang that God's love is unconditional. God never changes. And for the Christian that are in Christ, we know that we are secure in Christ. That's the whole point of chapter 8, is so that we wouldn't have this frailty of going, okay, God, is this mostly dependent on you, but just a little bit dependent on me? And God's answer would be no. It is totally dependent on the finished work of what I accomplished in Jesus Christ. And yet, because of our humanity, because we can do some complex thinking, we ask this question oftentimes, maybe again, not in these words, but we ask this question, Well, God, you know, would you still love me if I did this or if I did that? Is there a place I could run to in disobedience of you that you just wouldn't love me anymore? I mean, have you ever thought that? Sometimes it may not even be the thought that you have, but as we saw last week in Revelation chapter 12, Satan himself, the accuser of the brothers, he, he puts that, he plants that seed. You know, man, you've gone a little bit too far. You know that promise, that song that you sang Sunday? Yeah, that was for everybody else there except for you because you went a step too far. That's not what the Bible says. And so the final argument that we have here as we close out chapter 8 is this place where Paul's just saying, look, I want you to know that if you're in Christ... Now, again, he's talking to Christians. He's not talking to all of humanity, but he's talking to Christians. He says, I want you to know that there's not a place that you can go where you are away from the love of God. See, it's not based on your ability to keep the promise. It's not based on uh, so much, you know, our ability to, to, to please God. The promise that God will forever love us in Christ Jesus is that he's already been pleased by the finished work of Christ. That's hard for you and I, as we live everyday life, to see that truly, you know, we say all the time, you know, that all of our sins forgiven, all of our past, our present, and our future sins. I mean, that's what the Bible teaches. That's what God has made abundantly clear in Romans and other places. And yet, as we come into that practical walk of our life, I mean, I, I, can, I can only imagine that we've all struggled with, man, maybe this was the sin where God goes, well, I meant all sins except for that one because this one is so horrendous. This one is so dirty. This one is so awful. That, Bobby, you, just, you, you took me a little bit too far today. If you've ever struggled with that, then this passage very much, I believe, uh, is for you to, to, to be saturated in your mind and your heart. There's something about pledging something unconditionally in this world to always wonder, if, is there a condition that will break that? I mean, think about it, when we get married. If you had vows, a lot of times uh, I've done uh, nearly 500 weddings uh, over the last 30 plus years, and when it comes time for the vows, I said, "Do you want to write your vows, or do you want the vows that are kind of traditional?" And out of almost 500 weddings, you know that they've only written their own vows like three times. Everybody else says, "No, I, I want those tried and true ones. You know, that, the whole better for worse, sickness and health, and richer or poor. I, I want those." And there's great power sometimes when we're repeating something that has been repeated for generations of people. Maybe in our mom and dad, our grandmother and our grandfather, we're repeating that. And we're making this vow, okay, nothing can break this love. But we're human. And sometimes as much as we wanted it to be all better health and riches, we find out that even in the most loving of marriages that sometimes there's some worse, there's some unhealth, there's some sickness. And not everybody is blessed with great riches. And so the challenge comes. And all of a sudden, those those promises, those vows that we made unconditionally, we begin to find, well, is there a condition? Is there a point that I would go to when no longer I'd want this one to be my wife? No longer does that wife want this one to be their husband? Folks, that's the reality of life. That's where we live. We purpose well. We would say those vows with all of our heart. And yet the hope is that always it would be if the good things happen and when the challenges come, all of a sudden they're straying. And we wonder, is this what God would experience? God, I know that you love me and I know that you said you would always love me, but, but God, can I strain that? Can I really find a place in my disobedience and my walk away from you? And maybe just ignoring you, that you no longer feel that way. Paul answers that this morning. To be perfectly honest, that's where many people struggle, um, and what's really, I guess, insinuated in Romans eight thirty five. Not so much God's ability to love me, but our ability to be lovable. Have you ever thought about it that way? You know, we, God loves us. It's not so much that we think less of God that He can't love, but sometimes we put the focus on ourselves, and we're not feeling so lovable. We're not just this cute little teddy bear down here carrying out the, the will and the, the, the way of God. Look what it says, Romans 8.35. Paul asks this fifth and final rhetorical question, but on this one he actually gives us the answer. And he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger our sword? That question, if we look at that scripture, says... The Paul asks, who can separate us from the love of Christ? He's not asking, who or what can separate me from my love of Christ? See, that's really where that question is often come to. When we begin to feel that unlovable part, it's not so much that we're saying, okay, God, do you love me? It's, we're really focusing more on ourselves. Paul doesn't phrase it that way. He says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? And then he's going to give us a ready answer, a, a solid answer. And yet many times in our lives, in our own Christian walk and experience, the the question that comes from our wondering minds is, God, is there something that would kind of distance me from my love for you? So God has not rested our security in Christ based on our emotions and our ability and our perfection, but the finished work of Christ. But get this. Not only does God not, not only rest our security in Christ and our ability to love Christ, he has also not rested it in our ability to perform for Christ. See, this thing about unconditional love, the closest I think that I've ever gotten with unconditional love, and, and I'll be real honest, I have a wonderful marriage and a wonderful wife, but marriage is probably one of the most unconditional relationships that there is. I mean, if we really get down to it. Because it's one of those things, there's always, you know, I just expected you that you were going to do that. (laughs) Well, I expected you to do that. Probably the most unconditional relationship I've ever been in as far as as a human being is my children. And if you have children, I think you get that. But you're going, okay, is there any way that I could ever not love this child? Oh, there's some things that would irritate me. There would be things that I would disapprove of. And there would be times I certainly would say, you know, I'm kind of angry with you right now, but could there ever be anything that would really just make me not love that child? It's probably the closest I've ever gotten. Well, here as we begin to look at this, Paul begins to show us that our security in this love, this unconditional love from God, is not our ability to love Christ back perfectly, and it's also not in our performance. And I don't know about you, but that's a relief because there's things that I really love Christ well. I don't say that in a braggadocious way, I just, you know, know, during worship time. That's an easy time to really love Christ. Well, you're focusing on what he's done, his sacrificial death. You just love Christ for doing that. But, But let that sink in. God has not rested our security in Christ on our ability to love Christ. Amen? I'm so glad it's not built on that. Think about this for a minute. Does every Christian handle adversity and trial the same way? Of course not. In my former church, um, one of the saddest situations I've ever been in, uh, um, a young girl in my youth group that had grown up, and she was now uh, out in the teaching profession. She was a wonderful example of of one that walked for Christ. And uh, somebody took her life. And Carly and I went out with the parents about two weeks afterwards when, when uh, you know, just after the suddenness of this, they still had not caught the person to this day. They have not caused, uh, caught the person that, that murdered the daughter. And, and, you know, you can just imagine that. And when we went out that night and, you know, I was going back to all my seminary years going, okay, now, what do you say in a situation like this? And I promise you, there's not a class in seminary, folks, where they teach you how to, to respond to that. There, there's no word for that kind of heartbreak of a parent. And so we sat there, and I just wanted to love them. Carly and I just wanted to love on this dear couple. And do you know, as we got into discussion that night, they said, well, we sure hope that they catch this person who did this crime to our daughter and took her life, because we want to share with them Christ. We want to share with him the hope that even though he did this horrendous thing, that that's not the end. And Carly and I are sitting speechless. Where do you find that? i tell you this, though. There's those heroic moments that you just look and you know it's the very Spirit of God. It's not that they're just strong people. That just the Spirit of God. And then there's other times, folks, that some of the strongest people I've known have been just crushed by the difficulties and the circumstances of their life. I don't say this in a judging way. I, I'm, there's a variance of how we handle the battles of life. There's times that we really do. We just get that song and that promise and that truth and we march on. And there's other days that those clouds and that grayness and that darkness comes in and it seems to just kind of surround us and defeat us. Paul is writing for us, not so that we can learn to be heroic Christians, but that we can look at the hero. And I don't know how much pressure you put on yourself. I don't know how much pressure you've put on others to, to handle things in a Christlike way. I'm glad that Christ handled things in a Christlike way. And I, I, I long to be more like him every day. I long more and more to learn of his strength and learn of his power and learn of, 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 of all those things. And I am so far from being there, and perhaps you are too. So I'm glad that it's not my Christlikeness that is going to give me success over these things, but that it was Christ, Christ's likeness, and that he was sufficient. And so that's where Paul's coming from. Who who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger sword? The Roman audience that he was writing to would have been so familiar with that. This was a time that they were taking Christians and to make mockery of the whole Christian faith, they would clothe them And skins of animals and then put them out there, whether it was in the arena or in the street, and let other animals come in and and feed upon them. And folks, this danger of tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, this was real. And so Paul's writing to, the, to an audience that, that knows this full well, and he's not just kind of making up things. He's not just saying, okay, in theory, does this really work? He's writing to an audience that experienced. He was writing to Christians who perhaps their own mother or father, brother, sister, son, or daughter had experienced some of these things in reality. You, want, you know, this isn't just a theoretical thing. We're not just kind of going to put this in a song and sing it ten times so that we can kind of get a good feeling. This is the reality. Of the finished work of Christ. For some, I realize that this is probably a new way of thinking because we are just trained in our own humanity to put ourselves as the center. You and I, besides our relationship with God, we do not have another unconditional relationship in our life. We have hundreds, if not thousands, of other relationships, loving relationships, supportive relationships, but we do not have another unconditional relationship in our life. We have some that could push us really, really far, and we say, okay, I still have patience. We have others. (laughs) Do you have some (laughs) that can push you that far, and and you're ready to to write them off? That's humanity. That's where we are in relationships. Relationships. And so this is a new way of thinking. But if your love, think about this, if your love and your performance was the final dictate of your security in Christ or God's love for you, how secure would you have been even this week? I mean, even just this week. If the final dictate, the final measure of that judgment of God's love and his approval and and our security in Christ for eternity was based upon us, where would we be? Would you use the word conqueror to describe your last week in the faith? I see a lot of people saying yes and some people saying no. I see a lot of no's. Would, would you use the term super conqueror to describe your walk with Christ this last week? I don't think a lot of us would. But you know, that's exactly what Paul does. Look at, the, look at verse 37. Paul just starts describing our relationship in Christ, not our relationship apart from Christ. But he says, okay, here's who you are in Christ Jesus. And look what he says in verse 37. No, he he actually answers this rhetorical question. No, in all these things, we are what? More than conquerors. The word in the Greek is hyper. It's where we get our word hyper. Hyper conqueror. Folks, this is... Not just winning a game by a last second field goal and you win sixteen fifteen. This is a seventy-three to nothing blowout. But what Paul is saying here, this, this is stuff of the Avengers, League of Justice. This is you know, this this is the this is the team, you know, this is the Iron Man stuff. Now do you feel like that? Consistently? Do you always feel like that? Is that where your faith is? No, then why is he doing that? Is he taunting us? Is he just saying, "Okay, here's how you should feel," and if you don't feel this way, then bless your heart. I said, that's what he's saying. One of the things, and, and, and please, I hope this doesn't offend anybody, because we mean it well. I just don't know that it stands up to biblical record when we say, "You know, remember, God's never going to put more on you than what you can handle." I think I know kind of where we get that. It's probably loosely based out, out of a verse in Corinthians and it's and song about grace. Do you know that, that that's really not a biblical way of looking at things? If anything, when I say that to you in the, in the midst of your misery and your hurt, I just put a weight around your neck. Because what if you aren't feeling victorious that day? What if you really do wonder if this is the thing that's going to take you down? See, I don't see anything in the scripture that just says, even when he says you are more than conquerors, what's the rest of that phrase? Read it. Through him who loved us. If you're in Christ, this is who you are. You're more than conquerors. Uh, God is looking at this eternal perspective. He's not just looking at these momentary times when they were up and down and up and down because that's the Christian life, folks. If you think the Christian life is just one of these things from salvation to glory and it's a linear thing like that, then, then you really haven't read the rest of the story. Some of the greatest ones. David, a man after God's own heart and yet we see him in sin and rebellion. We see things in his life just fall apart. We see him ask God, God, will you ever look at me again? Will you ever hear my prayer? Here's a guy after God's own heart and yet we see the f- f- fragileness of, of his spiritual walk. I'm so glad that God, when, when God sees my fragileness that he doesn't say, okay, Bobby, just you know, come on, get a little bit stronger. But he sees me through Jesus Christ. Now, why does Paul use this word to describe us? It's because this is who we are through him who loved us. Our position, think about it this way, our position is not determined by our performance in the trenches. In the trenches, you are going to find inspiration because you are going to find some Christians on some days doing the unbelievable because the very spirit of God has filled them and equipped them to to be overcomers in, in a sense that you can see. But folks, do not think that... Our position is determined by our performance. Our pre- position is not determined by our performance. It is determined by Christ. When he died, buried, was buried and rose again. See that word at the end? Him who loved us. Present tense, past tense. Everybody goes, I wasn't really good in English. <laughs> past tense. Do You know why Paul uses a past tense there? It's not that it was just a formal love that, that God had for you before. He uses the past tense because he's pointing back. Guess what he's pointing back to? The cross. A death, burial, and resurrection. He says, there's your victory. You're not feeling victorious today in the world. You're, you're not really feeling you know, great about all these things. Yes, darkness has come in, but here's your victory. Here's why you're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, because it's not on you. It was all on him. What a relief. Now, folks, this is not a call into laziness, but it is a call into trusting. He points back to this victory in Christ. and Paul does something that usually we would pass right over uh, in our reading of this passage, but if the Roman audience would have noticed this right away. Look at verse 38. What are the first words? I know we have different translations here. What are the first words of verse 38? In the ESV, it's, for I am sure. Does somebody else have a different translation in that first phrase? For I am convinced, that's what it says in the NIV and the NASV. Anybody else? For I am persuaded, is in the King James. All the same, you know, from the same Greek, but he says, okay, I'm sure, I'm convinced, I'm persuaded. We pass over that, I mean, we read it, but we don't really know what Paul just did there. In Roman communication, when you were in a debate, when you were kind of giving the lecture... You came to a place where you would use this terminology for I am sure. And you know what that meant? Two things. Number one, he's about to close. So everybody to listen a little bit more careful because, you know, he's about to be over. But also he was summing everything up, not just in a final closing argument, but he was saying, okay, here's what I know. Here's what I take from everything. In other words, it's almost uh, pardon. I bet my life on this. I, I can put everything on this. And what was Paul convinced of? Look at verse 38 and 39. For I am sure, I am convinced, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's almost as if the Apostle Paul had a a 9-year-old, 10-year-old boy in his home. But Daddy... (laughs) What if I do this? What if I robbed a bank? Daddy, what if I hit my sister? What if I, Daddy, is is there something that I could fill in that blank to where you would stop loving me? It's almost as if Paul is posing that to this Roman audience, and he wants them to know there is nothing that you can put in that blank that would keep God's unconditional love for you if you're in Christ Jesus. Now, again, guys, this is not a, a call into laziness, but into worship. Paul fills every conceivable possibility from the natural to the supernatural. I mean, he talks about the earthly things. He talks about the things that are not so earthly, the, the small, the mighty. And his conclusion is the same. Nothing can separate those who are in Christ from the love of God. What a call to worship this morning. But if you're in Christ Jesus this morning, you've trusted Christ for your salvation, That it's a call to worship. Here's the other thing it's a call to. Here's what we take away from this passage. Not just the theological truth. Okay, God, it's not my performance that you're going to love me or not love me. But here's the other thing. It should bring a very ample supply of humility to our lives. The humility that and it takes away that judgment of one another. Well, if I was her, I would have done it this way. Well, if I was her, I would have you know, quoted a couple more scriptures and kind of got through that trial. I don't think we ever mean to be very mean-hearted when we see other people go through tragic times and maybe they're not handling it the best. Hopefully, through the understanding of the gospel, it brings compassion to our hearts. And we just pray for that person. We just love that person so that maybe we can be a physical reminder of that spiritual truth that God loves them. But folks, every once in a while, maybe there is a little bit of that judgment. And that's where this, it should just be erased at this point. It causes us in, not to a laziness, but to a worship, to a humility, and, and to a thankfulness. God, thank you that, that as I go through this week, your love is going to be the same. It's going to be consistent. And there's some things that I'm going to be able to really just bury in my faith in Christ and and, and see through. And there's other times that the darkness is going to surround me, and I'm going to wonder if I'm going to even be able to take my next breath. God, thank you that your love is consistent in all these highs and lows of my spiritual walk. Seminary professor, professor of evangelism at Southwestern uh, Theological Seminary where I went. I love, he would say this often. He said, the moment you experienced the love of Jesus Christ at salvation, you chose to forfeit your right to whom you would love. His point was this. Once you've been loved unconditionally, how could you ever really go back and put conditions on your love? Now, we all do. But his point is made. Once we've that kind of unconditional love, unconditional acceptance from God, how could we, in any right mind, go back, any biblical mindset, go back and say, okay, I'm going to love you if you do this, but none of this. That all of a sudden we take our non-performance-oriented love from God and we turn it into a performance orientation of, of those that we would love others. See, that's our hope this morning, guys. I mean, you want something to be thankful around your Thanksgiving table this year? S- settle on this passage. Oh I yeah, mean, God, this has been a rough year. This has been a, a super rough This has maybe been the roughest year of my life. But God, here's why I'm thankful today. That through the highs and lows, you have carried me all the way. Your grace has been abundant. Your love has been sure. And even in those days, I feel that the darkness is there and I don't even feel so lovable. You love me because of Christ. And you rest in that. You rest in that as much as you can. For those this morning that are not in Christ, you've been reading, you've been studying, you've been attending church, and and yet you haven't made that time where you just settled, okay, I'm going to put my full faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Here's my encouragement to you this morning. This is a call to come. It's written to believers. It's written to Christians. But it's an invitation to all. See, if he said, okay, uh, only people that can jump this high, that look this pretty, and got all this figured out, then all of a sudden a whole bunch of us are eliminated, especially if it's to jump this high. (laughs) But even though he's writing this to Christians, and, and his audience is Christians, and this is who they are in Christ, it is an open invitation to everybody else. Maybe you're here this morning, and you've been waiting to be lovable so that you could approach God. Okay, I just got to clean up my life a little bit. I just got to get some areas a little bit sharp and make myself a little bit more lovable. Folks, that's not how it works with God. I promise you, outside of Christ, you could not be lovable and present yourself to to Christ in such a way. Outside of the the work of Christ, you you can't get that good. The Bible says something in the Old Testament that uh, some people take offense with. It says that even our best things, even the best things that we would ever do are like filthy rags before a holy God. He didn't say that to offend us. He wanted to make the perspective, guys, if you're waiting to clean yourself up to come to me, it's going to be a long wait. If you want to look upon Christ and see my gift to you and how you can be clothed in his righteousness, then come right now. That's the imitation. And that's the invitation uh, this morning as we we have this time of of prayer and as we have this time of reflection. For the Christian, I, I pray that God will just, you know, if you're really going through one of those challenging times in your faith and you're going, I just have to get stronger, I have to get stronger, just know that Christ is strong enough. If you failed this week, if your faith has seemed futile, rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. For those who may not know Christ in that personal way, you've never trusted that for your life today he would say, come. Come to a place where I will give you unconditional love. Because what what needs to be accomplished has already been accomplished. And it's not waiting for you. Sherry, I believe as you and I were talking, maybe it's out there before that we get in this mindset as Christians. You know that, okay, Christ has done 99.9%. But God's waiting for that o one percent for me to kind of top it off. It's not biblical. He did one hundred percent. We can't even add point oh 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 one percent to finish it off. It is complete in Christ, and that is our hope. And folks, for the body of Christ, that is our glory this very day. Let's pray, Father. We love you and we thank you. And Father, this day as we would. Look upon your word, Father. I thank you that you have pronounced very black and white, Father, very directly the truth. For, Father, there are times in our lives that that we really think that your love, even though we would say that it's unconditional, Father, we we treat it in a practical way as if it is conditional. Somehow you're waiting for us to to perform well, that somehow we have to carry our end of the, the stick here, Father, thank you so much that that's not what's upon us. Father, that is not given to us to be lazy or to use as an excuse. But Father, to simply declare that without Christ, we have no hope. But Father, today, I I pray for those, especially those that may not know you. Maybe they know about you. Maybe you've been working in their heart in their lives. But Father, this very day, I, I pray that you would draw them. That Father, you would show them that if they've been waiting to clean up their life to come to you, that, Father, that's an impossible wait. And, Father, that you would just show them your Son, hung on the cross for their sins, buried in death but risen again in life. And, Father, I, I pray that they would know that beauty today. Father, for the, for the body of Christ this morning, I, I pray that you would teach us humility, compassion, and that, Father, when we see others struggling in those times, that, Father, we would just come and we would pray and love without condition. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the promise that of what is ours in Christ Jesus. We give it to you now, Father, as we pray all this in your name. Amen.